0: Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here. Merry Christmas. You can respond. Merry Christmas. There we go. It's a small enough crowd. We might as well act like we're sitting around a table or something here this morning. So um, I'm, I'm grateful that you're here. Today is a day that we celebrate that Christ has come and that he is coming again. Amen. And last night we gathered here to uh, celebrate the kind of culmination of our Advent season at the Christmas Eve service that we had. If you were able to be here, uh, you, you know what we kind of experienced. If you weren't due to other plans or things that you had going on, we missed you. But during that time, we lit the final candle, the Christ candle, as we've been building toward this moment. And today, as Chris said, we're going to continue uh, in this series that we've been in, uh, in, in uh, looking at this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So before I, I say that, though, I want to I acknowledge that in addition to yesterday being the kind of the ending and the culmination of the Advent season, today marks Christmas Day, which is also the first day of Christmas. The birth of, of Messiah is far too big an event to celebrate simply on one day, though that typically in our culture is what we do. We acknowledge it on Christmas Day, and then we move on with our lives the day after Christmas. If it falls on a day like Sunday, maybe people acknowledge it. Mostly they're just thankful they get off work on Monday, but uh, you know, you at least sort of, it's a, there's a little lingering on Christmas Day if it falls on a weekend, but typically we just kind of get back to life however it is. But Christmas is actually a 12-day feast, a 12-day celebration, and I've talked about this some in the past, uh, which this, during this 12-day this period of time, uh, we remember and we celebrate and we think together about the meaning of the birth of Christ the good news that God became human. So it actually goes until January 6th. So you can do that. I'm, gonna, I'm not, no judgment here. I'm going to, you can let this play out in your life however you want to. I'll tell you what our family is going to do. Uh, you This season, the 12 days of Christmas, actually goes till January 6th. So a practice that our family has is that we keep our tree up until January the 6th as a visual reminder that uh, we're still living in this season of remembering and celebrating and anticipating God's uh, arrival to earth again one day. And so uh, you can do that however you want. You don't, you're like I can't do January 6th, maybe you can do December the 28th or something. you know maybe you can do December the 30th. I don't know you can pick however that looks in your life, but I want to just urge you to not rush to take the tree down, to not rush past the season that we're in. It's not always about the parties and the gifts, those, those things those, those things are meaningful. Uh, we We said a prayer last night, did a responsive prayer last night during our Christmas Eve service that that there's this line in that prayer that says that those the feasts and the celebrations these things have never been the ends in and of themselves, right but they' they're but small ways that we repeat the sounding joy that first appeared in that that field uh, that night when Christ was born, and the angels began to sing uh, their song and so encourage you to let the celebration continue. One way we do that is by leaving our tree up. And so you can figure out ways maybe that you do that. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that next Sunday because we'll still be in the 12 days of Christmas period of time uh, next Sunday. But the reason that that's important to me and I want it to be important to you is that I believe that now more than ever we need as God's people spiritual practices like Advent and like uh, the Christmas season as a part of our lives because we live in a secular age. Uh, we live in an age in history when fewer and fewer people are interested in faith. Uh, we live at a time in history when things uh, that are sacred, that are holy, that have been set apart by God can easily get pushed to the margins and become less focused and less important uh, by People. We live in a period of history when, when we, as followers of Jesus, kind of get, can get caught up in this reality, right? And, and we can be tricked into thinking that life is about consuming, that life is about acquiring, that life is about climbing the ladder, moving to the top, um, and, and when, instead of it being about serving and giving and loving our neighbor and loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I'm just convinced that we need these kinds of practices to help us um, in in our pursuit of Jesus Christ and living our lives for him. So this morning, in an attempt to help us avoid rushing past this season and linger around the story of Jesus coming to earth, we're going to continue this series we've been in looking at uh, this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Uh, And we're taking a verse, as we have each week, we're taking a verse from this song and thinking about the ways that it both expressed Israel's longing for for a Messiah and also expresses our longing for God to return one day. And so I want to look again at the verse that we're going to spend some time thinking about this morning. We just sang together. These are the words that you just sang a moment ago. Oh, come, thou rod of Jesse, free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. This is the verse that we're going to look at today that will sort of anchor our sermon time, and as you see there in the last line of the sermon, we're going to get a little bit of a resurrection theme in this, uh, on, this, on this Christmas day, on this, in this sermon, which I can think, of as I, as I realize, kind of, you know, as Matt Pugh and I kind of planned out this series and we picked this verse for Christmas Day uh, I, got, I got more and more excited as I began to think about that, and certainly as I began to write the sermon and prepare for the sermon, because we, I'm getting to celebrate and combine two of my favorite themes, resurrection and Christmas, on the same day. So I hope, I hope that you're ex- as excited as I am about this. This verse is similar to last week's verse in that it's kind of a prayer, uh, and, and as in the other verses we've looked at each week, uh, a new name for Jesus emerges in this verse of the song. Uh, the Rod of Jesse. This is a ver- another name maybe like some others that we've looked at that maybe you, some of you haven't heard before, you're not familiar with. Uh, this name for Jesus comes from Isaiah chapter 11, which is where we're going to be looking together in just a minute. But you won't see those words Rod of Jesse uh, in the, the verses that will be up on the screen because that is similar to the, the, the word we looked at, the name of Jesus we looked at a few weeks ago, Dayspring. This is King James Version language. And so here in the version, we're going to read from the NIV this morning, we'll see the word uh, shoot or branch that will, uh, that will pop up. So let's look in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 1. This is what Isaiah says. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, I want to stop really quickly there and just talk about a bit about Isaiah. Isaiah was an 8th century prophet, poet, and, and who lived in Jerusalem. And from Isaiah's words, his poems, you might say, we find what we have come to think of as, as Christmas themes. Isaiah was the first prophet to talk about the virgin Birth. He was the prophet who talked about a baby whose name will be Emmanuel, God with us. He says in his prophecy that the government will be upon his shoulders and that he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. All of those, of course, are names for Jesus, right? Our titles for Jesus and our Christmas themes that are given to us by the prophet poet Isaiah. And here in this passage, we see another Christmas theme. Isaiah begins these words with the image of a stump, something that was once a tree and at one time held some hope of becoming a mighty tree has now become a stump. There's no life in it at all. It's not flourishing. It's not doing the thing that it was designed to do, which is producing fruit. And that tree, he says, is the tree of Jesse. Now, we, we often talk about our families. We use language in our conversations about our families uh, around tree. We talk about our family tree, right? And this is a language we use, an image that we use to describe how people are connected. If you're trying to describe how you're related to someone else, you, what you're doing is describing your family tree, right? They're the brother of my father, and my father and his dad are related, and they're whatever it is, right? However you're describing that. We use this language of family tree to describe how we're connected to each other, related to each other. And so Isaiah uses this image to say that there was a, a family tree and a father that, was, that kind of was the, the, you know, the patriarch of this tree. This family tree was a guy named Jesse. And Jesse, as many of you know, was the father of David, King David. And there was a time in Israel's history when they thought that David and the kings that would follow after David would fulfill Moses' vision to, to fill the earth with God's righteousness. That was Israel's thought. That was their idea that when, when, God, when they knew that God had anointed David as king, David was Jesse's son, they, they knew that God had made some promises to David, and they thought David and David's descendants would be the kings to fulfill the promise that God would fill the earth with God's righteousness. And, and so D- King David's reign as king of Israel set in motion a new way of living. And, and at first it was going well. They thought that, that things were going well. They, they had hopes, Israel did, that, that K- David's reign as king would, would bring about a new way of organizing society around the Torah, around the Ten Commandments. And of course, Israel thought this way because God had made some promises to David, that one of David's descendants would always sit upon the throne. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're not going to look there, but you can go back and look there on your own. God tells David that after David dies, his house and his kingdom will endure forever, that his throne will be established forever. And Israel knew that these kinds of promises had been made to David. And so they had deep hope that, that forever there would be a king on the throne who would take care of them, who would oversee them, who would rule over them. And David, of course, the man after God's own heart, was the first king in this dynasty. And David's son was Solomon. And Solomon started off okay, but by the end of Solomon, we talk a lot about Solomon's wisdom, but by the end of Solomon's life, he, he was not devoted to the Lord. His heart had been turned, Scripture says, to other gods, right? And then after Solomon, his son Rehoboam was king. And Rehoboam was a disaster basically from the beginning. There was a civil war. The kingdom is divided. And from there, following Rehoboam, most of the kings of Judah were terrible. So by the time you get to Isaiah chapter 11... The dynasty dynasty of David that Israel thought was going to be the crowning achievement of Israel is a failure. It doesn't happen. It's like, you might say, a tree that was supposed to be a tree that bore fruit, but now it's a stump. It isn't doing the thing that it's supposed to do. It's not producing branches. There's no new growth. It's not bearing fruit. Instead, it's a dead stump. And this picture of a tree stump is supposed to is supposed to kind of give you a sense, give me a sense of just how much of a failure this Davidic di- dynasty would have been exactly. Just picture. I just want you to, to kind of help us wrap our mind around how, how problematic this would have been for Israel. Maybe even insulting this would have been to Israel. To think about this family tree of Jesse now that was supposed to be this great mighty tree that was producing all sorts of strong and mighty kings who would forever sit on the throne. Now they're looking at this tree, and they're like, it's just a stump. Something's not lining up exactly here. I thought God made a promise to David, and now, now we don't see this promise being fulfilled. To, to kind of help this make sense, I want you to think about your family tree for just a minute, right? I want you to think about someone talking about your family tree, this tree that has come with great expectations. And beginning with the very beginning of the family, there was all sorts of hope and promise. And the family tree was going to have lots of branches. It was going to have, there were going to be lots of marriages and lots of children. There were going to be lots of people of influence that would ra- be raised up within the family who would make a difference in the world. And the branches of this tree would be flourishing and providing life for everyone around But now, your tree, your tree that you had great hopes of becoming a mighty tree is just a stump. The fact is, some of us can relate to this image, because family and whatever family means for you and for me didn't work out exactly like we pictured. And so by Isaiah's time, you're maybe roughly 250 years since David's Reign as king. And so it's really, if you think about it, not all that different from our nation here in America. Right? It's like Isaiah is, he's a, he's imagining, he's reflecting at the beginning stages of a nation. It'd be like you reflecting back on George Washington. And then now you're reflecting on what it is now. And he's, and this is what Isaiah's doing. Right? Things started off with a lot of promise and a lot of hope, but now they're nothing more. Been a stump. But then, as you're imagining this dead stump, Isaiah's prophecy speaks about a marvelous thing happening, this dead and lifeless stump. Isaiah said, the story's not over yet. God will not allow disaster to become the final word. Isaiah says that someday from Jesse's dead tree stump, He doesn't know when, Isaiah doesn't know when, but someday from that stump there is going to be this new green shoot that's going to burst off, this this branch, this rod that's going to burst off of this dead tree stump that will miraculously sprout off from that stump. Can you picture this as you imagine this image that Isaiah is communicating, this picture that he's painting? Can you imagine this, this dead and lifeless, once promising but now very dead and lifeless stump with this green twig shooting off from one side. This new shoot, this new branch that will become a tree, that will bring this tree back to life and will bear fruit, the fruit of righteousness and justice. From the royal line of David, from Jesse's family tree, this new sprouting branch will spring forth. This is the picture that the prophet Isaiah gives to us. I want to read, picking up in verse 2 at what he says next. He says, The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Isaiah doesn't say when this will happen again. He doesn't know. But he says that one day from this old tree stump will shoot forth a branch, a person, a king. And the kings, of there's language in here that we have to understand because the kings of Israel were anointed with oil. That was like, think about it like the inauguration ceremony of the king of Israel. But Isaiah says this king will not be anointed with oil This king will be anointed with the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of Yahweh. He will be christened, you might say, by the Spirit, which is what that word Christ means. He's been christened by the Holy Spirit. This anointed king will be permanently clothed with righteousness, with wisdom, with might, with knowledge, and he'll judge in a different way from kings that kings typically judge. He'll judge with justice and with faithfulness and with righteousness, Things that were previously used to only describe God, Isaiah is now using to describe a real human person. One who judges with righteousness, provides justice to the poor and needy, gives just decisions, and leads with faithfulness. These are these are descriptions now that are being assigned to this king that Isaiah, Isaiah is saying is going to come one day, though he doesn't know when it's going to come, though he doesn't know when that shoot is going to burst off of this dead stump. But he says it's going to happen. But he, this is not the only picture that he gives us. He also gives us a glimpse, a really powerful glimpse, about what the reign and the rule of this king will look like. Let's pick up in verse 6. This is what he says next. He says, while this king is reigning, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with The goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled With the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So Isaiah is saying a couple of things here. He's doing a couple of things. He's first of all saying that this new reigning king will change the atmosphere so much within his kingdom that animals and humans, all of creation, will now live in harmony in a way that they never have before. So that's one thing that he's saying. But he's also saying. He's also using these animals to talk about humans. What, the way he's talking about animals, laying down, you know, interacting and being together is, is a way to talk about human behavior as well, talking about the harmony of these animals as a way to talk about the harmony that exists, that will exist in the human world. The strong and powerful, you might say it this way, will live together with the weak and powerless. And they'll, they'll be able to do this. This will be able to happen because the weak and the powerless will finally believe that the strong and the powerful are not seeking to devour and dominate them because they'll know that a new king is in charge. And really what I want you to hear is that in many ways what Isaiah is actually doing is he's referencing back to an earlier time in the biblical story, in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 in the Garden of Eden, Isaiah 11 echoes Eden. Think about what you recall at the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 1. Right? Creation is living in harmony in the Garden of Eden. Life is operating as God imagined. And then in the midst of this perfect scenario that Adam and Eve have, the enemy leads Adam astray. And what was set in motion in the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world, what we typically think was set in motion, which is true, was that personal sin became became a part of the equation. And that's true. But what also happened is that Adam led us, humanity, out of Eden and into death. And as a result of this, humans were not the only creatures that were impacted. The entire world was impacted. All of creation was impacted. Right, we hear Paul talk about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 21, when he says these words For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, creation didn't choose that, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The world was led into the grave. The world was frustrated and thrown into darkness and sin and chaos. And so a big part of what Isaiah is doing in Isaiah chapter 11 is is he's imagining a day when Eden will be restored, when humanity and creation will be led back to life and away from death. When paradise that was lost will be regained. When peace and harmony will reign over all of creation. And Jesus is the one who will do this. We understand now on this side of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have that slide. He says, but, in Christ, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since listen to what he says, for since death came through a man, and that's my words there, I'm the parentheses I'm putting there because I want you to know he's talking about Adam. For since death, go ahead and go back to the next to the slide before that. I'm not done. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. On one level, and a very important level, right, what Jesus does is he leads us out of death and in, into life. We have victory over the grave. Amen? But also what Paul is saying here is that Jesus' life and death and resurrection are the beginning, follow me, a be- the beginning of the process of undoing all that Adam set in motion in the Garden of Eden. How powerful is that? And, and, and he says that one day, Paul says, when the end comes, When he returns one day, Jesus will hand over the keys to the kingdom back to the Father. And on that day, all of God's enemies, death, and all his friends will be made subject to Jesus Christ forever. Jesus will come from the line of Jesse that was thought to be a dead stump. When it looked like death had spoken the final word, Isaiah says, no, 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 no. There's a day coming when life is going to burst forth. This new green shoot is going to burst forth from that old dead stump. This is why, church, that it's important in Matthew, when Matthew is writing his gospel, that he tells us in Matthew chapter 1. Next slide. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of who? of David, the son of Abraham. And a few verses down after he says these words, he identifies Jesse. And then later, a few verses down after that, he identifies Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, as all a part of this family tree from Jesse. Jesus came from Jesse's tree. They stopped being kings after a while. That, that, That ship sailed. But Matthew wants us to know, it's important to him that we know, that when he's, when he's telling his story, the beginning of his story, that we need to know, and mostly his original audience was Jewish, and they were Israelites, so they needed to know, who is this guy you're talking about? And he connects it to the very beginning of Israel's story when God made those promises to David that somebody would sit on the throne forever. And Matthew says, this is the guy that you've been waiting for. The miracle of Christmas is that back in the Old Testament, a promise was made to David. A promise was made to David that he would have a king on the throne forever. But once his line was cut off and that tree became a dead stump, the only way, the only way for that to have happened would be if God fulfilled the promise in a way that David nor anyone in Israel could have ever imagined which is what God did in the most unlikely of ways, in sending God to earth as a baby, a baby that would grow up and that would lead people in a way that no king had ever led people before or would ever lead them since, a king that would bring harmony and peace, a king that would bring order and blessing instead of chaos, a king that would provide for us and free us from the tyranny of our enemy, Satan. A king that would bring salvation, or as the song says, free us from the depths of hell, thy people save. A king that would bring life instead of death. True life, eternal life, life that gives us victory over the grave. And because of that, we can, as the song reminds us and invites us to do, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice, O Israel. Emmanuel, God has come to be with us. Christ has come into the world. And I would even suggest that when we say words like Merry Christmas, that what we are saying, whether we've acknowledged it before this moment or recognized it or known it before this moment or not, from here forward, I hope when you say those words, what you know that you're doing as a follower of Jesus Christ is that you're acknowledging when you say Merry Christmas, that you understand that this is what happened in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the shoot that came from Jesse's tree. Jesus is the the one that, that brought life when all that seemed possible was death. And so because of that, you can rejoice. And because of that, we understand. We live our lives, friends, as people now who take our cues from our King. Right? This is why we say things like, we live as he lived. We love as he loved. We give our life in the way that he gave his life. We give our stuff away. We share what we own. We take care of those that are in need. We share the good news that life is different now. That Jesus set a kingdom in motion, the likes of which the world had never seen before, and the likes of which no one has experienced before that shoot, jumped off of that old dead stump. And we we love in the way that God has loved us. But we do another thing too. We pray. We pray this prayer that God gave us to pray. Jesus gave us to pray while he was here on earth for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done. Even when it feels like in our world that death still has a stronghold, that chaos and sin and ugliness and darkness and All the things that you see going on in our world and you think, where is God in the midst of all this? One of the reasons we pray is because it helps us to remember that it is not our job to change things. It is God's work that will change things. But what God has given us in the prayer that Jesus gave is this this line for, for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we can hold on to hope that life will get the last word even when it seems like death is everywhere around us. This morning, I want to close by saying this prayer together. And so when i want to ask if you would stand with me. <clears throat> We're going to end this way this morning. And, of course, if you have any needs that you want to make known, we'd love to pray with you and for you. Uh, and I want to ask uh, as as we as we pray that we just take just a moment and just Think again about the day that we, are, that we have together. As Ray reminded us a minute ago, it doesn't happen very often that Christmas falls on a Sunday. It was important that we gathered today, even though we gathered last night, so we can be reminded again of the significance of this, this season that we are all living in. And we can be reminded again that we are God's people in a world that often fails to recognize God. And so I wanna, I'm going to say the words in white. I'm going to ask all of us to say the words in yellow together. Let's pray this prayer as we conclude, and then we'll sing one more song and be closed in our shepherd's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's sing together.